Recovery Sort Of is a podcast where we discuss recovery topics from the perspective of people living in long-term recovery. This podcast does not intend to represent the views of any particular group, organization, or fellowship. The attitudes expressed are solely the opinion of its contributors. Be advised, there may be strong language or topics of an adult nature. And welcome back to Recovery Sort Of. I'm Billy. I'm a person in long-term recovery. I'm Jason. I'm recovering. And today, we are here with Mike Mazzoli. He is the Deputy Director of Addiction Services for the Cecil County Health Department. Uh, Mike's been there 23 years, has been a longtime advocate for recovery and uh, recovery services. Um, so, Mike, please tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got into this kind of work and what you're doing these days. Sure. Uh, well, first, I'd like to say, uh, Jason, Billy, thank you very much for inviting me onto the podcast. It's a real exciting opportunity to talk about um, recovery in Cecil County. And, and you're absolutely right. I've been in Cecil County working at the health department and addiction services for pushing 23 years. I think this June will be 23, maybe 24 years. Um, and during that time, I've seen a whole lot change in Cecil County. A lot of really, really neat things um, have come. So uh, I think this is a great opportunity to talk about some of that, to, to shine a light on recovery, um, which often, unfortunately, doesn't get the attention, right? But there's a lot of recovery, a lot of good things that exist in Cecil County that I think deserve uh, to be talked about. When I started, um, I started as a counselor, working with um, adults and adolescents. And I, I had the good fortune over the first several years that I was there to work in a lot of settings with a lot of different populations, adults, children, their families, at the health department, in the schools, in the detention center, out into the community. And I, I think, and, and I am not a person in recovery, um, but I, I do appreciate and, and um, hope that I can be um, a, a good advocate and a good supporter of recovery. Because what I saw during those early years was um, really opened my eyes to the uh, to the strength and to the power and to the value of folks who, who are able to, with a lot of support sometimes, change their lives and, you know, become the members of society that they want to be. Um, and that kind of drove me on my, I don't want to say my mission, but my career, why I stayed at the health department for so long, um, was able to move up from counselor to supervisor to a clinical director to now being deputy director to kind of help shape a lot of the things that we do. Awesome. And so, you were around sort of what I'm going to call pre-opioid epidemic. <laughs> and uh, like for, for me personally, I got my first introduction to recovery, you know, if you want to call it, you know, 12 steps or, or inpatient rehab through the health department. Um, I got in some trouble early on as a teenager. My parents took me to the health department and they introduced me to, I think I went inpatient at that time. Um, I can't remember. It's been so long ago. I was like 17 years old. Anyway, in Cecil County, it seems like that, uh, well, I guess I'll just ask you, like, what is the role of the health department when it comes to, like, addiction mm-hmm. in the community? And, and is it a treatment provider? Is it a, a treatment coordinator? Is it therapy and counseling? Is it all those things? Like, what exactly is the role of the health department? I think it's a little bit of all of those things, and I think it's <laughs> evolved. Um, so, yes, I, I was there before this current opioid epidemic. But it's almost a, a tale of two different opioid epidemics. When I started in 98, it was at the tail end of what was back then the heroin epidemic. 
nationwide. And, and, you know, one of the things that, that surprised me when I came to Cecil County to work was that Cecil County was, you know, one of the epicenters of it nationwide. Um, and I, I'm not the best with remembering statistics exactly. So I'll, I'll quote just kind of a range, but there was a, um, a, an understanding that during that time that like, like 60 to 80% of the heroin that was seized in this country came from that stretch of I-95 from like DC to Philly or, or DC to New York, something, right? But the, the point being is that there was a lot going on right here locally at that time. Um, and at that point, when I came in, the health department was a treatment provider. We had a really large outpatient, intensive outpatient service. So folks would come to us for treatment. Right. And, and I think that's a key back then that they would come to us oftentimes because something happened. Right. You mentioned getting in trouble and being brought to the health department. And we did a great job at that. Right. You know, the court system, social services, families, people would come in and there wasn't a lot else. We weren't the only ones at that time, but there wasn't a lot else at that point for folks to come get help. And that was the role of the health department. Right. And the role, you know, the, the kind of population that we served were folks who didn't have access to other types of services meaning folks primarily who were uninsured. Well, times have changed. Um, I think Cecil County should be very proud of the fact that since then, treatment options have grown tremendously, right? Uh, um, there are several providers in the county that offer outpatient and intensive outpatient uh, treatment options. There's providers that provide mental health therapy for children, adults, and families. There's folks that do medication-supported recovery or medication-assisted treatment. There's a lot of connection to services that don't exist easily in the community for folks um, like residential detox and, and, and uh, inpatient treatment. So there's a lot more than there ever has been. But one of the other big things that changed and that kind of changed the role of the health department is very few po folks, at least comparatively to the past, are without health insurance. So all those providers that have grown up mostly, largely are able to uh, serve most of the folks in Cecil County. So what the, the relevance there, the importance of the question is the health department's role has kind of changed, right? So we evolved from being this really large treatment provider where we had a census of maybe 300 people at any, you know, pretty steadily. So that's really taken a back seat because the, the capacity exists in the community. So one of our roles now is, is evolved to become a, I think you mentioned it, a coordinator or a hub. When it comes to treatment, our role is largely to make sure that the community providers are accessible to the folks in the community that need it. Yeah, and I like that. I think, you know, from, from what I've seen, if you can get it, like community providers that kind of specialize in their own area, mm -hmm. they can hopefully, as an independent agent you know i don't say this politically but broker things a little mm -hmm. better or, or handle mm -hmm. certain issues a little better they aren't sort of uh mired in some of the bureaucracy and things and and hopefully they can more efficiently get some of these services provided and of course you know back when i was 17 and introduced to recovery like it seemed like the only recovery that was really introduced or offered back then was either AA or mm, NA right. and Cecil County anyway and that was the two options that you know yeah well you can go to a 12-step fellowship and it's abstinence based and that was all that there seemed to be right um and then they had some I think it was like I did some different I can't remember what it was called back then but some sort of 
like inpatient, more like educational stuff. Okay. You know, we go in each week, mm-hmm. you get some kind of education on how addiction affects your brain and how it does this and that. And it was, it was fine. I don't know that it helped me much mm-hmm. to stay clean, but then it was like, just go to meetings. Right. And so that was the recovery that was out there. And nowadays we see a lot of different options as far as, like you mentioned, medicated assisted treatment, mm-hmm. there's abstinence, there's, you know, all these different options for recovery. And I think that's a good thing. Mm-hmm. Oh, 100%. Um, yeah. And so more recently, I guess we've seen this introduction or it's become more popular. It's not a recent idea, but it's definitely become more popular. The idea of like harm reduction and harm reduction techniques or methods uh, that we're seeing come about in the community. Um, I don't know. Does the health department have a, uh, I don't know, and I don't know if you even need to speak for the health department. Let's say it a different way. Um, so so what do you think of that, how that stuff's coming to evolve, things like needle exchange and, and the different uh, MAT, Suboxone, methadone, those programs? Like, Do you think that's a helpful tool to have that we're starting to embrace? Uh, I think hands down, absolutely, and that that's one of the things that Cecil County has done really well um, over the years is to embrace you know, science-based, evidence-based programming um, to, to, you know, enhance and to strengthen the local resources that are available, right? There's a couple of things that, that I think are important to talk about here. Um, you know, we're talking about the evolution of the health department's role, and we talk about on the treatment side, we kind of become a hub where we can make sure we connect folks with the right services. Another thing that the health department as a public health agency is responsible for doing is ensuring, you know, identifying the needs of the community. So trying to keep our finger on the pulse of what's going on through needs assessments and surveillance, trying to kind of understand what the needs are. So then we can make sure that the community has the right resources to meet those needs. And, and you know, one of the things that I think is undoubted, undoubtable, uh, you know, is, is certain is that not everybody with a substance use disorder, you know, needs the same things for recovery. So the program that you went to, Billy, may have met your needs, needs, may have not met your needs, may have met some of them, et cetera. But when that was really kind of the only thing that existed, here's your path. If, if you want to get well, you go here and then you do this. That was great for those people that it worked for, right? That were in a spot to benefit from that. But there was a whole large population that probably w- weren't getting served well. And we have this tendency as humans that when we see somebody not do well, and we think we're giving you resources, what do we do? We blame, right? We say, oh, you know, that person doesn't want to get better, they're not ready to get better, et cetera, et cetera, as opposed to what we should do is say, okay, what doesn't exist that would actually help that person do what it is that they want to do, which is to recover. And so you mentioned harm reduction. Absolutely, right? Harm reduction is part of that continuum of services. Medication is part of it. Medication is kind of the gold standard right now for folks with an opiate use disorder. Does that mean that it, that it's the right move for everybody? No. But Overall, we see that folks with an opiate use disorder do better in recovery, engaging in in behavioral health treatment, et cetera, with medication of some sort. On the harm reduction front, right, and you mentioned the syringe portion of it, harm reduction is a philosophy of services, and it's not a particular uh, project or or, um, service. And that that philosophy is really well suited for substance use, right? And, And essentially, that philosophy speaks to a couple of things that individuals should have access to service with little to no barriers. 
folks deserve and should have a right to service, even if they're not at a point of being ready to or able to commit to somebody else's idea of what the right outcome is. And what I mean by that is we should still provide services to somebody. They should have access to this type of healthcare, even if they're not at a point to commit to abstinence right? That abstinence-based recovery that you talked about before. And so harm reduction is really about that. And, and um, Cecil County, again, is one of the leaders in the state when it comes to developing real specific substance use disorder harm reduction services. The health department, starting back, I believe, in 2017 or 2018, we did a, a, a pretty intensive um, community needs assessment around uh, uh, harm reduction services and specifically syringe services, right? And, and we talked to a lot of stakeholders in the community, a lot of people that might benefit or utilize the services. And what we found was that was a right, that was a good thing to develop in Cecil County. So starting in April of 2019, we started our Harmony Project, which is a comprehensive harm reduction program that offers peer support, offers syringe services, offers um, linkage and, and connection to infectious disease services, HIV, hepatitis, um, wound care, safer sex, uh, linkage to treatment, basically anything and every, uh, anything that a person might need, we make it available. Voices of Hope has a harm reduction program as well. And I believe they started their community-based outreach, uh, backpack outreach, um, the October prior to that. So I think October of 2018. And the reason I would go into that depth and, and could talk for hours about this program, because it's been so impactful, is it represented um, a shift in um, that was consistent with the way that the health department was evolving over the years, which is instead of waiting for people to come to us, like we talked about before, hey, you get in trouble, you come see us. No, 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 that, that, that doesn't work for everybody. Let's go out into the community, right? So backpack walks through neighborhoods, deliveries, going out to meet people where they are, um, being available for them based on what they want. That's the harm reduction philosophy that that's taken. And, and I, I, I don't have the exact number on my, off the top of my head right now, but nearly a thousand people have been enrolled in the program since its inception. And we've seen amazing outcomes um, just based on some um, surveying last year folks who were participating in that program spoke really highly of the fact that they experienced fewer overdoses, fewer infections, fewer trips to the hospital to, to treat something that was substance related, and increasingly spoke of the opportunities that they had to talk to a peer about treatment. And this was a population that wasn't being served before by our existing treatment programs. Yeah, and, and one of the myth, well, I'm going to call it a myth nowadays, but one of the things we had heard from some of other advocates in recovery is that that old philosophy of that, you know, you have to wait till someone hits a bottom or that you have to wait till they're in crisis to sort of introduce, you know, recovery is, is a bad approach, mm -hmm. you know, that, yeah. that we can reach out to people earlier on and, and meet them where they're at and, you know, let them know, hey, we love you and we care about you. You know, maybe you're not making the best choices right now, but we want to sort of, you know, give you some options, give you some resources to hopefully not, you know, harm mm -hmm. yourself, harm others, you know. And then when you're ready, you have these relationships built that people are way more willing to reach out and engage. Absolutely. And uh, I mean, even as as a person in 12-step, you know, fellowship, abstinence-based recovery, like that has been a weird transition for me personally. Like I know 10 years ago, if you'd have said, oh yeah, you're going to be a person that's in, in support of like 
uh, medicated assisted treatment and needle exchange, I would have said, you know, you're crazy. I just said all the stereotypical mm-hmm. things that's enabling, that's, mm-hmm. you know, just legal drug dealing, like all the things that we say, mm-hmm. um, just being uneducated in, in the subject and, and not really thinking much beyond whatever I'm doing must be the right way. Right. <laughs> like, you know, and what I'm doing now is it, and this is what everyone else should be doing, and it works for me, so it should be fine for everyone else. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's great to see, like, the, the community, or, or at least, you know, the, the people impacting the community starting to embrace some of these ideas, and, and as a recovery community that we're beginning to educate ourselves and change some philosophies on that because I don't know about you but I think we've lost the war on drugs I don't think that's went very well (laughs) and uh you know there's always that push that we need tougher laws and we need you know tougher sentences and and it's like when do we sort of tap out on that idea and say that isn't working and let's try something else and just see what Mm -hmm. happens um and I think as you mentioned at least in the short term because it's only been a couple years we are seeing more people engaging with recovery we're seeing more recovery opportunities open up recovery housing different programs um so what other like have you seen a growth in community supports in cecil county um you know you mentioned community partners i I have a vague idea of kind of what that is but what is that and how do they work like your relationship or, or the health department's relationship with community partners? You know, we really need to look at substance use disorder and, and behavioral health, you know, larger as a, as a health condition. And, and I think if we continue to do that and, and really understand what that means and promote that, that messaging, then we'll understand that, you know, it really does take and require a wide range of services, interventions, outreaches to folks to help, you know, the community overall get, get bigger. Right. And this is not a problem that is isolated to an individual or to a family. It's a community wide problem. So the response has to be a community wide response. You know, you mentioned some of the the legal side of it, and and there are parts of that that are extremely important in, in the response to, to substance use, but that's not it. And, and I think you'll hear a lot of our law enforcement partners even echo that statement these days that, you know, we cannot arrest our way out of this problem. It's a health condition, right? Um, and, and I could talk a whole lot about the stigma and, and some of the misunderstandings that, that are behind it. Maybe we can get to that in a, a few minutes, but about 13, 10, 12, 13 years ago, um, Cecil County adopted a, a four pillar approach to um, the substance use issue in Cecil County. And those pillars are prevention, treatment, recovery, support, and public safety. Public safety being our law enforcement and emergency services, a lot of the first responder community. And doing that kind of um, accomplished a couple of things for, for, for the county. One was it organized it, right? And said, look, all of these pillars are equally important. Prevention, right? Services that exist to hopefully stop or delay the initiation of substance use, you know, to hopefully stop the development of a disease of the of the disorder um and then prevention is is a little more complicated like overdose prevention harm reduction can kind of fall under that as as like later stage prevention treatment you know when somebody is sick you need to have all the services that are there that 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 are necessary to help anybody who's sick get better right the right way recovery support's huge and that's all those kind of gap services right so those you've mentioned peer specialists i think a few times today um 
recovery supports or any of those services that that exist to help people become successful in recovery because it's got to be more than treatment right you need housing you need transportation you need access to employment you need somebody that's going to be supportive and help guide you through the system um and then the public safety piece of it there's definitely a huge role for that but when you take those pillars and when we started kind of organizing our response and trying to make sure that there was working between them, what came out of that was partnerships. And so part of the reason why Cecil County's uh, response is so strong these days is because of our, our, our really tight partnerships. And it's not new. Cecil County has always been known for having strong partnerships, but it's really, really developed into some really neat ways. So, and, and at the risk of forgetting or missing some folks, you know, our behavioral health provider community is super tight, right? And what I mean by that are public and our private treatment providers all work together, all communicate, all collaborate on, on initiatives. We have our, our social service agencies, Department of Social Services. We've got our, our, our probation partners, our drug court partners, juvenile services. The public school system has been an amazing partner. Cecil College, our law enforcement agencies, um, private partners like Voices of Hope and, and, and on and on and on. That has been necessary to identify and to create these opportunities in the community for everybody to, in, you know, in their own sectors, identify, okay, how does this issue affect us? What's our role in being part of the solution? And then how do we work together to, to leverage resources and support one another to get better? Um, and it's, I think this is relevant now. I've talked a whole lot about all these great things that are happening in Cecil County, right? All these new opportunities for treatment and all these new services and all these partners. And, and it is absolutely true. And I think you mentioned, um, you know, all the recovery in Cecil County. It's amazing to see what some of our, our, our private citizen, our private partners have done, right? You know, we've gone in the span of several years to not having any recovery house beds to having a ton of recovery house beds. The number is over 140 or something like that, um, which is really amazing, right? And that that's representative of a partnership. We talk about treatment access and more people coming into recovery. And the question becomes, then why doesn't everybody else see that? And despite all of those really good things that have happened, there have been challenges that seem to kind of outpace some of this good work. And it's really unfortunate because it overshadows and it leaves in some people's minds this impression that, you know what? What is happening isn't working and nothing could be further from the truth. Yeah. And, and I think that's common when you're trying to do innovative or new things like you're going to hit stumbling blocks or unforeseen challenges. And, you know, it's the ability to respond and adapt to that that makes a difference, you know. But, yeah, we've seen uh, just in, in different uh, attempts at recovery bring up different struggles, you know, <laughs> like, yep. like, you know, now that we have all this, uh, widened, uh, I don't know how to say this nicely without offending everyone. So we have this widened opinion on what we think recovery is nowadays. And so in a 12 step fellowship, there comes an influx of people that want to be a part of that fellowship, but then we tell them this isn't the place for that you know like, mm -hmm. yeah. and that happens and those are kind of growing pains of a of a community you know when you have yeah. all these new and innovative things going on um same as we've seen some challenges with recovery housing and and are we bringing people now we're attracting people from sort of that were 
already outside of our communities. Now we're bringing more people in to a system that's kind of already, you know, being pretty taxed. I mean, we have a pretty bad addiction problem here in Cecil County. And so we get recovery housing and that attracts people that aren't even from here. Now we're bringing new people in with with more uh, needs. And and so those are interesting challenges Mm -hmm. that we just hopefully don't look at and, and throw out you know, the baby with the bathwater, so to speak, like the benefits outweigh some of those minor inconveniences. Right. I think you're a hundred percent right. We use the analogy sometimes of the table, right? You know, we've, we've invited more people to have a seat at the table and that's great. And that's what you need, right. To, to, to evolve and to create a system that's going to be responsive to more people's needs and have more voices at the table. But now everybody's kind of jockeying for position and, and bumping <laughs> elbows at the table. So there, do, there are challenges inherent in growth. And one of the other things that happens when you get more eyes onto a problem is all of a sudden more people are looking at it, right? <laughs> it's like, we, we need more help. We need more help. And the second that we get more help, now more people are looking at it. Now it's opening up other folks' eyes and now they've got opinions on it. They have approaches. And so it's sometimes that almost in and of itself magnifies it, right? Because now more people in the community, more organizations are aware of it and talking about it. And it just feels like that the problems become more overwhelming. It existed before, right? Substance use existed before the opioid epidemic. Right. We, had, we had real challenges. And so it hasn't gotten worse just because we're looking at it, but it's gotten the attention. And because it's gotten the attention, it gets the publicity, to, so to speak. And then that publicity gives it that aura of, and not to undermine or understate it, it is bad. You know, there are real challenges. This episode has been brought to you in part by Voices of Hope, Inc., a nonprofit recovery organization made up of people in recovery, family members, and allies. Together, Members strive to protect the dignity of those that use drugs and those in recovery by advocating for treatment, harm reduction and support resources, and mentoring. Please visit us at www.voicesofhopemaryland.org and consider donating to our calls. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. So the Cecil County Health Department, obviously a government entity, right? Um, And I think there's a lot of flack and and pushback from some places that maybe the health department doesn't do enough, right? Maybe they don't care enough. Maybe they're putting on this illusion of, yeah, yeah, this matters because that appeases some people. But then when it comes down to it, it's like, whatever. Taking that criticism out of the way for a second, right? I, I think the Cecil County Health Department's response is probably behind the progressive curve and yet still far in front of the population of Cecil County uh, political curve, (laughs) if that makes any sense. And so I I guess if you step back for a second and you think about the populace of Cecil County and you think, hmm, how would they solve, you know, the addiction problem? or the substance use problem, I, I'm picturing like the old West, right? Like just start shooting people in the street or something. I, I don't know, something ridiculous. Right. And so 
how hard has that been to try to sit somewhere in that, right? Where, mm. where you have the internal pressure of maybe you have people in the health department themselves that really don't go along with the more progressive ideas. You have people outside of it that are pushing back against progressive ideas. But then you also have entities that are like, why aren't we doing what Oregon or Portugal's doing, mm. right? Like, why aren't we way ahead of where right. we're at? How difficult is it to grow in that atmosphere of all this pushback from almost every direction of you're not getting it right? Right. Well, and I appreciate the way that you kind of started that, right? The, sometimes a um, public entity, the governmental entity can be in a tough spot. Um, and I, I, I kind of respond a couple of different ways. The Maryland Department of Health has been very open to bringing in opportunities for new, innovative types of solutions, right? So just the fact that, that you know, we were able to talk before about this harm reduction programs, that's coming from the state health department. You know, that's evidence that, that there are folks at, at upper levels recognizing the need to evolve, recognizing the need to, to grow and expand and to, you know, incorporate evidence-based, science-based uh, solutions, even if they're not necessarily at the, the forefront of the public's understanding of what's an appropriate response. Um, and then locally, we were early adopters with some of those things, right? You know, we're fortunate in Cecil County in the health department that we have le uh, leadership and progressive is not necessarily a word that I would um, look to, um, but I'd say innovative, evidence-based, um, appropriate services to, to, to continue to fill that, that, that continuum of care um, that's necessary. And we've had leadership that has been supportive of exploring it. So to that end, um, I think I mentioned briefly before that before we started up our, our Harmony program, the comprehensive harm reduction program that does incorporate syringes and, and wound care and all that other stuff, um, we had done Narcan. You know, we were one of the early counties in the state to really develop a, a, a robust Narcan distribution program in the state. And, and the response community-wide was similar, right? There was a lot of, and I'm not going to say pushback, but there was a lot of questioning right? And that questioning comes from a place of not understanding. And, and it's interesting, um, despite that, our partnerships that we talked about a few minutes ago allowed us to be at the table with the folks and have the conversations. And sometimes those conversations and, and part of our role as the agency looking to bring these in are to, to be able to educate, hey, this is what these are. It's not just what you think about. It's not the legal drug dealing that you were talking about. It's not um, enabling, right? This is what it is. This is how it's done. And this is how it becomes you know, productive for the community. So a ton of education. And sometimes when you know, we're in the midst of doing that, it feels like it's really slow. You know, we started talking about the harm reduction program in 2017. In fact, I think a little before that, our health officer brought in a group of us from my division at the health department and Voices of Hope early on to talk about that. It was several years before the program launched. And I think maybe that can contribute to, Jason, what you were kind of talking about, that behind the scenes, right? Like, you know, the, the, the belief about health department or, or public folks. But there's a lot of work that's going on to say, okay, there are these things, you know, we have a problem. There's these solutions that exist that can maybe not solve the problem, but make it incrementally better. This county needs it. And, and here's the undertaking. Here's the path that we need to go through to make it happen, right? Um, I have a really good friend 
and she and I used to debate all the time, marathon or sprint, marathon or sprint. And, and she was always a sprinter, right? We got to do this, Mike, we got to do this. We got to do this. We got to do this now. We got to do this now. And then I was always like, yep, but we have to do it the right way. And the health department was like, yeah, we got to do it the right way. That way, when it actually lands and it actually starts, it's sustainable, if that makes sense. Um, and in our county, I, I, there's been a health, healthy dialogue, right, about some of these programs, but they're accepted, you know, or they're at least established. You know, we've been operating the harm reduction programs for two and a half years in Cecil County um, with minimal minimal um, negative response. Naloxone, which wasn't, you know, wasn't welcomed with open arms early on, is recognized as a valid um, part of the response by pretty much all sectors now, right? Um, so I think, I, I think, I'm, I, I hope I'm answering the question there. Um, uh, it, it can be challenging sometimes. And, you know, our role really is to be thoughtful, to be fact-based, to be intentional, to be transparent. Um, it doesn't always work the way that we'd like, but yeah. <laughs> How much does the health department follow whoever's the county executive? So like it, we just had a change. If, mm -hmm. if we were to get some county executive who maybe was a more a conservative leaning individual who really wasn't happy with the services the health department offers. How easy is it for them to come in and just change all that? Do they have any say in that? Well, so county government's been a real valuable partner for the last several years. Um, like immensely. So um, pushing back a little more than a decade um, early on during the opioid epidemic, when unfortunately Cecil County was identified as you know one of the top in the state for overdose per capita, the governor started his outreach into communities in Cecil County with a roundtable discussion up here. And at that time, the county government and the health department partnered to really develop a plan and a response and, and to kind of organize the county's uh, uh, yeah the county's response to substance use. And that's that's maintained since then. And and so through that partnership. A lot of really good things have come out of it. And I think maybe part of the answer that I could get to, too, is funding is part of it, right? So it depends on where dollars come from. If dollars are coming from local, from county, well, there's some influence. If dollars are coming from outside, well, then there's some influence or there's less influence, if that makes sense. Yeah. So I think it's kind of a complicated answer. You know, ultimately, we've been really fortunate with the leaders in this county who have been willing to, to have conversations and to understand and to almost defer to the expertise, so to speak, of the health department, even if not fully always understanding um, right. or agreeing. Um, and I'll, I'll give you a, a kind of an example of that. So harm reduction, right? All of those things, Billy, that you mentioned before about enabling and legal drug dealing or what have you, that's not a philosophy that is unique to substance use. In fact, it exists in so many other areas of our day-to-day -day life that we don't even think twice about, right? But because it, we apply it to substance use, because substance use has such a negative perception, because there's such a stigma, people look at it negatively, right? And, and I could go through some real silly or, or simple examples of harm reduction. We talk about things like speed limits and, and, and seatbelt laws and helmet laws and protective equipment for our kids when they go out and play sports, right? 
sunblock is one that's often used, you know, things that exist not to stop the behavior that's potentially harmful. Like, oh, if I do this, I may get hurt. Or if I'm out in the sun, I may get a, a sunburn or skin cancer, whatever. We don't stop them. We create these resources and these approaches to, to simplify or to reduce that risk. But there's more, there's a more relevant one, right? You know, our society is, is challenged with other health conditions beyond substance use, high blood pressure and, and heart disease, et cetera. Some of those are lifestyle influ influenced, right? Meaning people's diet and lack of exercise and overworking and overstress contribute to that. I go to the doctor because I'm having symptoms of it. And the doctor says, you need to do this, 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 and this to get better. And they give me medication to lower my, my blood pressure. I go back in six months or a year, my blood pressure is still up high and my weight hasn't gone down. And when the doctor asked me if I've been doing any of my exercise, I'm like, eh, not, eh. <laughs> they don't stop treating me, right? They continue to provide me my medication, et cetera, and treat my symptoms. I share that example as a way to say that that was part of the education that we've done with folks, county government and other partners wise, that when harm reduction was coming in and they were like, no, we don't really understand it. That was part of the education, right? That got people maybe not to, you know, warm hug and embrace, but to say, okay, I, we at least see that there's a thoughtful approach to this. There's an application for it. Um, and, and, you know, talk to about, and, and we're fortunate to some extent too, a lot of the services that we provide, trying to think what the best way to say this is, you know, one of the reasons why people push back is that, and, and I think very frankly, a lot of the community doesn't think that people with substance use disorder are deserving of our, of other people's resources. Why do my taxpayer dollars go to this? Why do, uh, you know, and I totally understand that perspective especially for folks who have been fortunate to not have been as affected by this personally as others have. But it's amazing, pretty much any of the responses or, or services or programs that, that have been developed to, to treat substance use to make it better are beneficial or proven beneficial to the community at large, right? And so that's part of that education too. And that's part of the, the relationship that we've had, whether it's county government, it's private citizens, it's law enforcement, it's, it's other behavioral health providers, to say, look, you know, these things, an investment in doing this in Cecil County will also result in this, right? Hopefully, yes, less utilization of the local emergency department for substance-related medical issues, less overdose fatalities, less offenses, less, you know, and, and so to that end, Jason, we've been able to work with folks who maybe don't necessarily jump in or, 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 or buy into everything 100% have been willing to be supportive. Right, right. You, you mentioned one thing about the programs uh, that we have currently, mm -hmm. while they are, you know, they are making a difference. They are working, I don't want to say wonders, but working a lot mm -hmm. in, in our county. You know, there's a purpose for them. We're seeing the results of them. They're scientifically based. Thank God we've come so far from 1998 with a better understanding and a better implementation of this. Absolutely. But you also said these aren't going to solve the problem, mm -hmm. which is an interesting statement, right? Mm -hmm. And so I don't know that, and I'm not trying to get you in any trouble here. I've, I don't know that I've ever worked somewhere where there wasn't at least some policy or part of what I did that I didn't agree with. I'm like, that's stupid. That doesn't work. Why do we do it that way? We should do it this other way or something else. I'm just curious from your standpoint, mm -hmm. is there any piece of the health department's response to the substance use in the community that you feel doesn't really work all that well? And, and what, 
I, I know worldwide in general, we've never really solved this yet, mm-hmm. but what could we do to get closer to solving it in your mind? Okay. So two parts. Yes. What maybe I don't agree with, or I think could be done differently. And then what could be done to get closer to, get us to closer. a solution? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And I'm not intending to be overly diplomatic with the response to the first <laughs> You're doing time. really well so yeah, far, though. Yeah, great. <laughs> but, um, you know, I, this is such a complicated... Look, we haven't even scratched the surface of what contributes to the severity of the substance use disorder, right? And it's, you know, that, that kind of tired cliche of peeling an onion, layer after layer after layer. And the deeper you get, the more pungent or the more difficult it seems, Right. One of the things I used to, to try to um, teach new counselors coming into the field was their patients weren't necessarily getting sicker over time. Sometimes it was a product of that clinician getting better at working with their patients to bring out deeper issues, right? So mm-hmm. there's a lot of recognition and, and, and acknowledgement of, of ACEs, right? Adverse childhood experiences, right? And the impact on those things, those experiences as a child, not just on my behavioral health, meaning that if I've experienced, you know, some of these adverse childhood experiences, I'm more likely to develop addiction later in life, but just our overall health, right? So we, we identified it. There's work to being done locally to develop systems, to intervene, identify them earlier, to intervene, provide service, et cetera. But again, that's not going to be the solution. Um, I don't want to get too far way from that initial question. So because it's so complicated, right? I don't really know what the right, the, the silver bullet's going to be. And, and I don't know if there's anything that I could personally say, like, even if I were to take off my health department cap, if there's anything that I could say about the health department's response or even Cecil County's response that I would say, you know what, we shouldn't be doing that. And, I, and, and, and I'll kind of give a general reason why. It is such a complicated issue. And this county, the health department, and the people that I'm fortunate enough to work with within the health department, and I really do need to shout out our leadership, as well as our community partners, have been amazing to be open to address these head on. And so we've done so much in such a short amount of time that other communities look here Sometimes, for example, hey, how are you doing this? Hey, how are you doing that? Hey, we were told by our state administration to come talk to you guys because you started this program. By no stretch am I trying to say that we're the best at everything because we make mistakes. But I think that approach to um, dealing with the issue far outweighs anything that might have been a misstep. And honestly, there's not a, a single thing right now I mean, I could point to things like, I wish we had more resources. I wish we had a, a, a stronger applicant pool when we have vacancies. To, to there, There's a lot of challenges that we have. There are times that I wish we were outside of the state bureaucracy with certain things, right? Because it can be tedious and tiresome. Um, and, and just to kind of put the nail in that part of the, the question, unless you have follow-up, is um, and, and the personal testimonial for this. I moved from Cecil County a long time, about 12, 13 years ago, 14 years ago, quite a distance away. And I stayed here working despite the commute and everything because of how much I believe in what's happening here locally compared to other places, you know, other counties in Maryland or other places in Delaware where I live now. 
Um, and so I, did that answer the first part, Jason? If you want to push on any of that. Yeah, like I, I think so. <laughs> I, I do, actually. Uh, okay. So you mentioned maybe the community resources, the bureaucracy. Is there a portion, because, you know, originally you, you had mentioned that the health department was treatment, and now it's kind of evolved into being more of a hub, a coordinator, and doing a whole lot of other stuff. What part of the services the health department is taking on do you f- feel like, for you at least, would probably be better off if the health department dropped it and somebody else did it? Like, what do we need to outsource so that it can be done more efficiently because of that bureaucracy? Um, that's an interesting question. And I think that's one that's on the table for a lot of local health departments at this point. And I think the question is, is that's evolving, like trying to figure out what that right role is. So there's this debate between the public sector and the private sector and what each one's role is. Right. And that's still being determined. And, um, I think one of the real important parts is a, that nobody rushes into anything and creates a system that's hard to then reverse back right? It's easier to evolve with what you have as opposed to try to go back and regain or reclaim something, right? A couple of years ago, um, when we were, the Maryland Department of Health was really, um, was a strong advocate, right? To, um, for local health departments to partner with private community-based organizations and to develop partnerships. And so we did that. Right. And we had done that to some degree previously, but that what that means to partner is different for everybody, right? You know, does partner just mean that you guys talk? Does partner mean that you share funds? Does partner mean that you share responsibilities? Does partner mean somebody, one person does it and the other person oversees it? You know, it's what's right for the community. Um, and, and it requires, you know, understanding the strengths of each. And I, I forget, Jason, if you said, or Billy, you said it, growing pains, right? There are growing pains to that type of a partnership as well, right? And, you know, I think we're still trying to figure out what the strengths are and what the right moves are. There are programs that the health department delivers um, directly, meaning we provide the service, and there's uh, programs that the health department um uh, vends out or, you know, supports community groups to do it. And I think that's probably going to be a, a continuation or an ongoing thing, that evolution, trying to find the identity. And if I could speak frankly, too, there are some um, challenges. You know, we, I think it's maybe been evident in what I've said so far is that, you know, we take a lot of pride in the work that we've done as a health department, you know, and not just us. Again, it's recognizing the work in the community, but a lot of pride in, in, in the role that we've had to play in it. And that's important, right? You know, because we've done it well. It's not just empty pride. It's there's a lot of really neat things that have happened in Cecil County and the, and the health department's been a good hub. Again, not the only part of it, a lot of partnerships, a lot of support, et cetera. And we're growing faster than ever before um, with community-based groups. Um, so I think the future is still kind of being written there, but it definitely is going to um, involve a partnership. And we're trying to figure out when the right time for a plug is but can I use this as an opportunity to, to, to share, you know, and, and kind of promote one of these opportunities where we talk about that partnership, private organization doing things, government organization doing things. Um, you know, Cecil County starting last fall effectively or fully is home to a 24-7 substance use disorder crisis hotline. We refer to it as CATCH. It's the Cecil Addiction Treatment Coordination Hotline. So 24 hours a day, seven days a week, a person, anybody 
dealing with a substance use issue, whether it's the individual themselves, their families, or just anybody can call this number and speak with a live peer specialist. And that peer specialist is trained as an, and is an expert at helping to identify and understand the need and be that kind of guide, that, that, that director, that connector with local resources um, and make sure that that process is happening. You know, we always talk about the window of opportunity or striking while the iron's hot. And this is a step toward that. Now, there have been several um, iterations of this moving forward, but we have that now. 24-7, this catch line, 443-245-3257, somebody's going to get a, a, a live peer specialist. And that is a partnership between the health department and a community-based organization, Voices of Hope, where the funding is used and the resources are used to make sure that that 24 seven is there. And there's things that community-based groups are especially adept at doing, and there's things that the health department's adept at doing. Um, and I think this is a good example of learning that, and hopefully, you know, not just learning now, but using these as lessons moving forward. I'm trying to think if I want to ask this or not. Yes. I guess I will. So <laughs> <laughs> with the, the catch line and that, I mean, so is there a plan to make that a place to where people can go? Cause I don't know if COVID, I don't know, yeah. you know, COVID has been so weird with so many things where now so many things are closed or not mm -hmm. open. Is, is there a plan to have like a place people can, because what you think of, I mean, for most people in crisis, typically what's going to happen is for a parent, like your child's going to overdose. If you're lucky, they survive. You go and get them at the hospital. Mm -hmm. Um, I know you probably can't agree to this part, but our hospital here, the response isn't usually great to most people with a substance use. They're going to send them out with a list of places to call and send them out the door. And then those people walk out like, okay, what do I do next? It's two thirty, three o'clock in the morning. You know, where do I go? Because they don't necessarily know, oh, there's a helpline. You hope that that information's getting transmitted from the hospital. I have my doubts, but, you know, I, I know you can't say that, but, you know, there, you know, here you're handing people a packet of information saying go call someone later. And this is not a crisis like a broken ankle where you can go get therapy later or, or go get a cast later. Right. Like I said, this is a, an immediate need. Life and death. So yeah. is there a, anyway, that's a long way to say, is there a hope to have, you know, the, the catch program, a 24 hour place where people can go after, I guess, COVID or whatever? Absolutely. Yeah. So, um, Yes, COVID. Yes, COVID um, was an interference. Um, and again, you know, iterations of this being developed. Um, but the plan was for last March, right around COVID time, for this just to be an in-person. And then there were going to be a couple of different facets, you know, in-person starting. And this is part of that intentional and, and kind of over time development thing, right? But there was a plan for there to be... Um, uh, um, in-person walk-in accessibility, not just at the health department, but in the local hospital. And then COVID hit <laughs> yeah. and, and those things had to go nuts. virtual. And I will say this, there are in-person opportunities at this point, right? So not everything is cut off 100% because of COVID. And you hit on a key challenge that we have in this community, Billy. No matter how much good stuff is developed, good services, good programs, good people that are available, and no matter how much promotion and talking and sharing, there's always people who don't know, right? And so, you know, maybe answering part of the, an earlier question, one of the things that could be done differently 
is more community education, more community promotion. Um, and I think there needs to be probably some new and different innovative ways to do that because, you know, it's amazing the number of times you have, you talk to somebody, even sometimes within our own organization and you share a resource that people have done. I've been guilty of it. You know, resource has been shared with me. And then later I ask somebody, oh, hey, do you know where you go for something like this? And they're like, I told you about this. You have an email about it. I'm like, oh, okay. Right. Um, so, yeah. And the intention is when COVID lifts and some of these restrictions lift, we can continue and, and hopefully have an in-person walk-in center. Right. And, you know, there's a lot of changes in the community and, you know, there are real challenges with some of um, some access to care. And, you know, we talked earlier about, um, you know, one of the health departments or public health's role is to ensure access. Well, you know, that, that perception of the, the reality and the perception of the way folks with substance use disorder are received and are welcomed by organizations is part of that access. And that needs to be addressed, right? You know, and that doesn't, that's not isolated to any one organization, unfortunately. I've seen behavioral health providers who sincerely want to be helpers, not be open and receptive and warm, right? You know, you talked before about some of the resistance within the recovery community to things like medication. Well, you know, so that, ex that, that exists kind of across the board. Um, we're constantly in communication with a lot of the partners trying to, you know, again, educate and promote increased access to service. Um, I do think that we're going to see changes locally, um, specifically with, say, access to the hospital. Um, and I think things are in process to make some changes. There's been you know, recently an acquisition of a local hospital by a larger organization that, that does some really innovative and neat things at, at other hospitals that they operate. So did that answer the question? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I, I want to make sure I'm not, okay. Well, and in fairness, you're always in a fun place because as the recovery community, you know, and advocates for recovery, our job is to bang on the table and make mm -hmm. a lot of noise and demand, 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 mm -hmm. and then hope that, you know, some crumbs fall this right. way, <laughs> you know, because there is a, there is a big bureaucracy and it, you, you reminded me of resources. Like I remember I used to work with a guy that did like purchasing for the military. Mm -hmm. He purchased stuff for, it was uh, Dover Air Force Base, actually. Okay. He worked there and he did all the purchasing of supplies and equipment and stuff like that. And he would tell us every year, they make a long story. He gets to the end of the year and he would have some money left. So he would just spend all the money and stockpile all this stuff. Mm -hmm. So then he's like giving out uniforms and giving out boots and giving out all this stuff because they have all the excess. And so, you know, you say, well, you know, why don't you just say you don't need it like that's government money he said if we don't spend it all they're going to take it back next year yeah. and then if i need it next year i don't have it so i don't know that that's specific to bureaucracies i think individual businesses do that mm -hmm. too it's like well i have these resources i'm not going to give them back i'm just going to i need to keep hold of of what's mine in case i need right. it um and now with all these new and innovative approaches there's lots of people banging looking for money you know? mm -hmm. and it's like how do we get this money freed up because there isn't an unlimited amount of funds or resources available so and things are time limited so you know we, we could talk could probably have you know a series of podcasts on the bureaucracy and where there's some good to the bureaucracy and when where there's some challenges and some some not so good to the bureaucracy um you know one of the other things just to uh, maybe as we're wrapping up 
you talked about there not being an unlimited pot of funds, right? And that's absolutely true. There's also not an unlimited window of those funds being available, nor is there an unlimited use of those funds. So, you know, you mentioned the opioid epidemic, you know, that's kind of where a lot of this started, early questions. Well, it took many, many years or several years, I mean, not say many, um, it took several years before that, right? And what started as, as a, a rise in fatal overdoses attributed to prescription medications, it took several years before that, you know, was translated into funds, right? Well, guess what a lot of those funds are earmarked for now? Opiates. So, you know, one of the things I'd like to, to kind of point out, and, and Cecil County's done it, is in the process, has done a really good job and is in the process of, do, you know, of, of continuing to strengthen this, is to take those and develop programs in such a way that are sustainable beyond the time of those funds and you know, create a no wrong door approach, right? Because just because there's a 24 seven catch hotline doesn't mean that everybody calling that is gonna have an opiate use disorder. Mm-hmm. And so there's been a lot of good work and, and I, I believe our partners would say that there's been good work and maybe it's not always perfect work, but good work to say, okay, how do we expand this to make sure that somebody calling with an alcohol use disorder or somebody calling for marijuana or somebody calling for something else gets served? No wrong door approach. We're gonna connect you to the right resources hopefully seamlessly. Somebody who's calling they don't have a substance use disorder and it's, it's, it's more mental health. Developing those connections to make sure, again, it's a no wrong door because ultimately, you know, going back to kind of, Jason, your question about the almost a silver bullet, I don't know that we'll ever get out of this completely, but I think the, um, you know, one of the ways that we will make some significant headway in, in it as far as, you know, how severe the illness is in people and how severe the impact is, is by simplifying access for, for folks. You know what, make a number, make a place that people can go to, make it so that no matter what door I walk in, when I, when I develop the courage to walk through that door and start speaking, that that is going to serve me. Even if they're not the right program for me, they're not going to just tell me, go to this place. They're going to sit, they're going to engage me. They're going to do that warm handoff. It's about going upstream, right? It's another thing that, that we're doing. There's been, there's a few examples right now of us taking resources and developing programs that go to folks immediately or as immediately as possible after something happens that might create some motivation or some openness to change, as opposed to waiting six to nine months, you know, for the court system to work something through and send them to us. Um, so it's, 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 it's continuing to increase access and making sure that when that person takes advantage of the access, that the resource is there to actually serve them. So tomorrow morning you wake up and you got this gigantic bag of money on your front porch that says, Mike, uh, we need you to put this into the biggest need for Cecil County right now Mm -hmm. in substance use services. Um, so do you, you take this money, do you think the biggest need is an inpatient treatment center in Cecil County? Do you think it's, you know, 20 new recovery houses? Do you think it's pumping that money into some program that's already there? Mm-hmm. Where do you put that? What do you do with it? What's our biggest need here? Um, so after jokingly, I ask questions like, okay, who gave me this money? What are the strings <laughs> right. on this money? What are the requirements? Definitely not us. <laughs> Cause we don't have it. Yeah. <laughs> 
how long will this money last? Right. Because these are all <laughs> yeah. things. And, 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 and I'd say that somewhat jokingly, but somewhat serious because that's mm. not all that uncommon. Hey, here's dollars. Maybe because of what you said, Billy, we've got year end money left over. And so instead of buying a lot of boots, it's, Hey, what can you guys do with this? And it is real easy to say, Hey, you guys had all this money and what, did, what came of it. But if the money is not, if it's a one-time thing, if it's a system, that really influences what can and will be done effectively, right? Because the last thing anybody wants to do is start something and then have to stop it in a little bit. Right. And, and that really is a challenge. Um, the sustainability piece is a real challenge, but um, no strings, no consideration of, of, of any of that stuff. Um, I think having a place where folks in crisis can go for stabilization mm. makes a ton of sense. Right. right. Um, and stabilization means a whole lot of things to a whole lot of different people. Right. It yeah. might be to, to detox and physically become it might be to get off the streets and have a safe place to live and to stay. It might be just, you know what, I'm not really at risk of withdrawal. I've got a safe place. I've got a roof that I can say it. But if I'm not with you until a bed opens up, then maybe I'm not going to keep that bed. I'm, maybe I'm not going to feel this way tomorrow unless I'm with you until that bed opens up. Um, and now I will do an asterisk on that and say that that is, you know, my response at this point. Um, it might not be the right one necessarily. Awesome. Can I ask one final question? Yeah. And we'll let you go. Um, so I was told you were actually kind of credited with starting Voices of Hope, what ended up being Voices of Hope. So where did that idea come from? Was that something from you or maybe from a directive or was that something you had come up with? And how do you feel that's gone? Like, do you regret that decision sometimes? <laughs> <laughs> so I, I think there could be a straight line drawn between what, you know, the seeds and, and where it is today, but that, that straight line may not be as, as straight as I imagine, or, or there may be some leaps. So some of the early seeds were, you know, talk about kind of how the way programs start and stop and evolve and try to fill gaps, you know, and, and I'll try to keep this brief. You know, one of the challenges with addiction services, we know addiction is a lifelong illness for many people, but services that, that treat addiction are often really short-lived, right? Six months, you're discharged, you're gone, see you later. And it's that, that gap in between where folks, you know, we all struggle, we all experience things. There wasn't easy access to get support again without committing to another six months of treatment or something like that. Right. And so there was this, um, this idea called continuing care that, that was starting to get pushed for, you know, uh, many years ago. And that idea was even when you completed a program, we, as the, the, the state funded agency, we were there for you. We would we, still maintain contact. Right. And we had our, some of our counselors would do that and maintain contact with their case. So sometimes our peer specialists would do that. And what we learned, and peer specialists, I don't know if we've defined, we probably don't have to define for this audience, but peer specialists are individuals in sustained long-term recovery who have also received professional training to be um, um, part of the solution. A, a peer recovery specialists started taking on some of that responsi responsibility and proved to be really effective at it. And then that kind of evolved into this uh, idea amongst our, our peers to develop an in-house group to invite program alumni back in, right? And then that kind of evolved to become something about, you know, let's go out in the community and provide recovery advocacy and support. 
and and myself and and Jennifer Turk would talk about this a lot, kind of some of the ideas that sprung from that and talked about things like, you know, developing resources and and building on the strength and the and the the passion within the recovery community to help give back and to we referred to things like the recovery army back then, right? You know, utilizing a lot of people who wanted to do good stuff, wanted to give back in some way and 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 how would that create? And there were some really long, lengthy um, conversations, um, oftentimes late into the evening about that. Um, and then that became voices of hope, which was part of the health department for a while, part of our division. And it met in the health department for a long time. And, and then there was a period where, um, I think the ambition and the, the, the vision of voices of hope grew to a point that really didn't sit well in a government organization. You know, I can't do advocacy. You know, I can't do lobbying. I can't go and, and, and push for a particular issue, political or otherwise. I can educate, I can, right? But I'm neutral. I, being the health department, we're, we're neutral. Um, so that's when voices kind of splintered off, became their own private nonprofit, and over the years uh, became what they are today. And I am very proud of what they do. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I know that can be a headache sometimes for you. So, <laughs> um, so yeah, that was all the questions I had. Yeah, no, I, I appreciate you coming on. It was great. I, I think it was informative, and I think it's easy on the advocacy side where we want things to change and we want help to point fingers at the government, at the health department. And and look, honestly, like two hours from now, I'll probably do it again, right? I'm not saying that I'm <laughs> completely changed my life or anything, but I, I do think it's good to step back and realize that, I mean, I hate to say it could be worse. It definitely could be worse, but it's also like, I, I think the health department's doing the best it can, right? I, I, I don't know that they could exceed the scientific evidence and start just trying random stuff you know, uh, and experiments in the community to try to fix this. I don't know that they really could do that. I don't know if there's funding for that. I, I know you're working with, and I think you brought up a lot of points about, okay, there's funding. Will there be funding in three years? Mm -hmm. Right. I don't want to start a program that's going to work for three years and then get canceled because the funds stop. Like it, there's a yeah. lot more to it than just why the hell aren't you helping us? Right. And it's good <laughs> to see that. Well, and just then to finish on that, if I could, you know, it's weird. Um, it's kind of this double-edged sword. You need to be able to go out and do things and try things, right? Some of the culture, and it's not just in Cecil County, but anywhere that, that you guys referenced before, you know, there's a potential ripple or shadow effect that becomes very dangerous, right? Or, or potentially impeding. Meaning if I go and I try something and I do something and I don't have a lot of good reason and thought out planning for it, and it doesn't work, or something happens as a result of it that that can, I could do all the education, we can do all the education, training, et cetera, to, to try to take a misconception or a misheld belief and, and make some positive progress and change somebody's mind, right? And I can share a thousand examples of the good that this did. And a single occurrence that's consistent with that previously held misconception can undo all of that and and change that goodwill and change that openness yeah. and partnership. So, you know, I think that's just, you know, an example again of, you know, there's, there's intentional methodical approach. There's other ways to go in and try things. And um, 
I do think that um, I will say Cecil County is better for having the health department. I think Cecil County is better for having the um, private programs that we have. I think Cecil County has got a really good network of local behavioral health programs. I think our public safety and our governmental partners um, all do a, a, a really amazing job and have done so. Um, even if, and I think Jason, it's it's huge what you just said. Sometimes it's important to take a step back and, and look at things through a different lens. Sometimes, so um, I would just like to say too, in addition in addition to the catch line, uh, I'd encourage folks to visit rewriteyourscript.org. Uh, it's rewriteyourscript.org. Um, it's a go-to for Cecil County folks for prevention, treatment, recovery, support, overdose prevention. A lot of local um, information, a lot of local faces. A lot of in, uh, local resources are available on that website. It's regularly updated. Um, and that's a resource that we really like to promote um, for folks when they don't know where else to go. Go visit that and find something. Awesome. Well, thank you very much for your time. And thank you for your years of service, you know, here in Cecil County. It's like we say to everybody that's an advocate out there. It's thankless work and it's never ending need. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so, so thank you for your time and and. You have a good day. Appreciate yeah, it, thank guys. Thank you so much. Thank you, Jason. It was nice meeting you. It's nice meeting you, Mike. All right. Have a See good you guys. Did you like this episode? Share it with people you think might get something out of it. Check out the rest of our episodes at recoverysortof.com. Also, while you're there, you can find ways to link up with us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Reddit, YouTube, anything. We're always looking for new ideas. Got an idea you want us to look into? Reach out to us. <laughs>